0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA.
0: From the standpoint of law enforcement, they are certainly paying attention.
1: They're paying attention to March 4th, which QAnon conspirators say is the day that Donald Trump will triumphantly return to Washington to reclaim the presidency.
0: It's astounding that people believe this sort of thing and that, uh, you know, further there are people out there that might try to act on it.
1: Former Secret Service Deputy Director A.T. Smith says, what happened at the Capitol on January 6th was one thing, but what happens on March 4th will be a completely different thing.
0: You know, there was certainly failures on January the 6th, and I don't think the law enforcement community, the Capitol Police and those that support the Capitol Police will let that sort of thing happen again or be surprised quite to that uh, extent.
1: Coming up on this edition of Target USA the national security podcast from WTOP in Washington DC this is Target USA Russia could render huge harm to this country North Korea's secret missile it's capable of reaching the whole of the United States dangerous terrorist DC is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack cyber criminal encryption successful <laughs> America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. In case you haven't heard already, there is another QAnon conspiracy out there floating around this one suggests that on march 4th former president donald trump is going to make a quote triumphant return to washington to reclaim the presidency and will be inaugurated as the 19th president of the united states that whole part about being the 19th is another subject for another podcast but on this one we're going to deal with whether this is going to happen or not and what happens if some people who think that it could happen try to come to Washington to witness it. And what happens when it doesn't happen to those people who are disappointed that it doesn't happen? What will they do? On this episode, former Secret Service Deputy Director, A.T. Smith, talks with us about the realities that the law enforcement community is going to face and the rest of America. Mr. Smith, um, March 4th is being pushed by the QAnon conspiracy organization as the date that donald trump will make a triumphant return to the presidency and to to washington dc what if anything are you hearing and seeing regarding this
0: well i think from the standpoint of law enforcement they are certainly paying attention you know there was certainly failures on january the 6th and i don't think the law enforcement community particularly in dc um, the Capitol Police and those that support the Capitol Police will let that sort of thing happen again, or be surprised quite to that uh, extent. In terms of the March fourth date, there is a lot of intelligence out there, uh, as you said, that uh, this will be the real inauguration. It, uh, it it's astounding that people believe this sort of thing, and that uh, you know further, there are people out there that might try to act on it. So I think. Law enforcement will be better prepared this time, Uh, and of course, some of the security measures taken after January 6th, the fencing around uh, the Capitol, the White House, and other places has uh, continued to stay in place, as well as some National Guard support and so forth. So I think the law enforcement community will be ready for it. Uh, It just remains to to be seen uh, whether or not there will be any sort of demonstrations or further insurrection from from these kinds of individuals
1: and that's the thing i wanted to get to next there are still some diehard QAnon followers out there how how do you assess the threat that folks like this pose i mean you're talking about people who believe for whatever reason in something that is completely <laughs> nonsensical so what kind of threat do they pose
0: I think they pose a very serious threat because we saw what they did, what they were capable of on January the 6th. And, you know, as you said, these individuals, um, if, if not crazed or on some sort of crazy mission, and they believe that these sorts of things will happen. And the unfortunate thing is there, there seems to be a following continuing on for this sort of thing. We don't know the level of it. I know a lot of, Folks that were involved have now renounced, you know, QAnon and and these subversive groups, and tried to reunite with their family, I guess, and community after making these crazy mistakes. But I don't think we have a way of really knowing. Um, You know, for instance, on some of the social media, obviously Parler went away, but now I understand there's there's media sites out there, and they have encryption and. You know, they're still continuing to communicate with each other. So I think the, the big answer is we really don't know how many are still involved.
1: How does federal law enforcement deal with this kind of threat then? Something, as you say, that's so amorphous and so, uh, I mean, it's just so fluid uh, and decentralized uh, such that it can actually operate in a loosely knit way and engage on encrypted sites. How does federal law enforcement deal with that, try to keep up with these folks?
0: Well, I think to the extent that they can, I'm sure they're monitoring a lot of the social media that that is out there and sort of in the open forum. In terms of the closed uh, groups, if you will, I think law enforcement will do what it always does. It will try to infiltrate that. It will try to uh, place informants Uh, In those groups or turn people that are already in the groups to cooperate with law enforcement. So really, the tactic that law enforcement will take is is old school. And that is to try to get inside their networks, inside the intelligence uh, groups, if you will, that they have and either uh, infiltrate or turn people that realize what a what a facade this is uh, and who decide, you know, they'd rather be a productive citizen.
1: A.T., um, March 4th, um, this return or alleged return by Donald Trump is just not going to happen. I mean, let's just be clear about it. That's simply not going to happen. So some of these folks who believe in it may go off the deep end. How does federal law enforcement protect Against these folks that may just lose it on March 4th when they look here or come here to Washington. And there is no Donald Trump returning to become the 19th inaugurated president and to reclaim the presidency.
0: I think they'll have to be ready for it and there'll have to be a strong response. Uh, As we've said, for whatever the failures were and the reasons for them on January 6th, I don't believe you'll see that um, repeated. I think there is no way that law enforcement has not improved since then. So I think the response will have to be strong. Uh, They will have to continue to investigate these groups or individuals and make arrests. And if they uh, demonstrate and violate the law, they should hopefully be in a position to arrest them on the spot, uh, as opposed to having to, to go back and do what they're doing post January 6th. So I think a strong law enforcement response is what's going to be needed uh, should these individuals appear and, and you know, try again this insurrection or this kind of activity?
1: You know, we talked not long ago about um, the need for a national special security event to take place more often than they do. Um, whenever there is a joint session of Congress, whenever they're meeting, there should be some, you know, there should be a national special security event. Uh, That's something that you told us when we spoke several weeks ago. Um, I haven't seen or heard any discussion about that. Does that concern you?
0: It does concern me in terms of our discussion that I think anytime there's a large event, particularly a joint session or something that was as significant as January the 6th, then uh, those who plan the security uh, process should consider an NSSE. Having said that, uh, after our discussion last time, as you know, the NSSC actually went into effect uh, several days early before it was scheduled to. It was actually scheduled, I think, to go into effect the day before January 20th, but they accelerated that. They kept it somewhat in effect after the fact. And even though there is not a designated NSSC today, uh, as we speak, as we said a minute ago, the the barriers, the fencing, the National Guard presence is still there. And that's, I think, an anticipation of, as we said, what could happen on the 4th. Um, So I still firmly believe that any um, significant event, uh, an NSSC should be considered. And as we spoke about uh, once before, I'm sure at some point there'll be a uh, joint session of Congress and the president will deliver a message. I think that uh, is yet to be scheduled or, or has not been scheduled. So, in the case of that sort of an event, I think uh, they certainly will revisit the NSSD.
1: Do you think the idea of permanent fencing that's being ta- permanent? Do you think the idea of permanent fencing that's being talked about around Congress is a good idea? Do you think that would work? I think
0: they're certainly going to have to look at that. Um, as you know, a few years ago, because of some of the problems we had with jumpers uh, at the fence located at the White House. We had missed jumpers there and it, it it sort of was a phenomenon where one was able to do it and others tried. So because of the events of January the 6th and and this continued unrest, I think they're going to have to do something. I don't think um, that the Capitol will be as easily uh, accessible as it has been in the past. So I think they'll have to either, a look at some sort of permanent fencing and choke points or um, maybe public access gates. But again, the, there should probably be consideration to to some sort of limited um, access.
1: You know, I don't know if there is an answer to this and certainly if this, this is something that you could discuss if there was an answer to it, but um, surveillance at the Capitol and around the Capitol, I'm, Pretty sure there's a significant amount of street cameras out there already, and I don't know. Maybe there are people that are actually out there that are we don't know about that kind of walk around in plain clothes and just kind of keep an eye on things. But um, from your perspective, do you see a need for more surveillance around the capital?
0: I do, because that uh, certainly electronic surveillance uh, is a is a heightened early alert system, if you will. So if you have the proper camera systems and the, the manpower to actually monitor them, that can be a, a plus. And as as we spoke about before, you know, with each event like this, you uh, sort of have to receive a wake up call. And we did that in the Secret Service. We had many um, process processes over the years, you know with closing of different streets when one event or the other would occur. Uh, Pennsylvania Avenue was limited and and access closed there, e Street. so with each of these events, as I said it does serve as a wake-up call. you have to go back and reevaluate what you have to do because it is the, the world that we live in. And I can say from the standpoint of the Secret service, uh, post nine eleven, Post some of the fence jumping incidents, we put some other measures in play uh, in and around the White House complex that had not been there before. So I'm sure those sorts of things will have to be reviewed and and approached probably from the standpoint of the Capitol as well.
1: Um, Some of those elements that have been put in place around the White House are still classified, I'm sure. Um, But I know one thing that you can see if you know where to look. Are snipers (laughs) Um, around and near the White House? Do you think that kind of uh, activity may be necessary at the up at the Congress?
0: They'll have to look at that, um, you know, to make a determination. That's that's quite uh, a different land area, if you will, than the White House. Um, And obviously. Back to what we said, there needs to be a certain amount of public access in and out of the White House, the the access are in and out of the Capitol. The White House access is actually pretty well restricted in terms of appointments and, and who can come and go. Uh, it's certainly one of those things in, in the toolbox that will have to be looked at uh, as they go through this uh, 9-11 type review or the. Uh, uh, the process that General Honore is is heading to take a look, I guess, at the failures and so forth. So a lot of that will certainly, I'm sure, be talked about, and it needs to be. It needs to be considered.
1: So let's get you to take us through um, an assessment process here, very briefly. Um, so it's January 7th. You are deputy director at Secret Service, and obviously leadership at Secret Service at that time. So say. This is something that takes place and it has a significant impact on you, your work, your protectees. And you need to figure out uh, what happened. You know, so say, you know, we know what was going on with Vice President Pence. If something really terrible had happened, and thank God it did not to him and his, you know, family, um, take us through the process that Secret Service would go through to fix that situation.
0: As we spoke about before, J.J., the Secret Service uh, constantly reevaluates its security protocols, and there is no one harder on itself than the Secret Service. So with each event, uh, there is a systematic review done where we take that uh, event and we dissect it and we look at what we did right and what we did wrong and what should be done to address it in the future. And that is done within the Secret Service for all events that are significant, not just protection-related events, but uh, agent-involved shootings for instance, or a- anything that uh, that relates to a-, a violent situation or a situation that's sort of out of the norm, if you will. So the service will dissect that, break it down. Uh, and in terms of protection, you look at your concentric circles of protection, the innermost circle, expanding out to the outermost. And each of those circles will be looked at. Uh, You will determine what was right, what was wrong, and what you need to do to fix it. So it's, uh, at the end of the day, I used to always say that, you know, you're no stronger than that one human link in the chain, if you will. If, If one person fails, the entire mission can fail. So you constantly have to be aware of that, constantly evaluate, what you need to do to improve and and to make it a safe environment for those protectees.
1: Okay, so that is exactly what I was hoping you would do is just take us through a Secret Service process so that now I can ask you this question. Given what <laughs> happened on January 6th, what kind of process should the Capitol Police or should the other agencies and organizations that were involved and had uh, responsibilities on the Hill that day, what kind of process should or maybe should they think about going through not trying to get you to, to tell them what to do, but, uh, what kind of process would you recommend they go through on January 7th, um, uh, to figure out where to go from there?
0: Very similar process. They need to break that down. Um, really item by item. Uh, we've heard a lot, uh, as a result last week, of uh, the uh, activities in the Senate, some of the radio communication that we hadn't heard before. We know that, um, certain lines, uh, were not able to be held, and the, the officers out there had to retreat, obviously, for their own safety. So they would have to look at um, the individual uh, idiosyncrasies of what went wrong, but at the same time, the big picture, like we talked about a minute ago, and whether that's choke points or, or better barricades. I've also heard that you know some of the officers may have been lacking in equipment or up-to-date equipment. That some of the communications was, that occurred was was really not up to speed either. So I think they'll have to take a look at that. They certainly will have to look at um, their their division that handles the intelligence. I've I've also heard through a couple of the reportings that maybe intelligence briefing were intelligence briefings were not held or were not as robust as they should have been. So it's all back to connecting the dots being hard on yourself taking a hard look and a hard evaluation uh at what happened and what needs to be done to fix it and i think that uh these panels that we'll be looking into to this sort of activity will hopefully come up with some some clear uh answers that can be acted on
1: more than 200 capital riot suspects have been arrested so far this investigation is continuing I'm interested to know how you think this will impact the QAnon and extremist actors' ability to connect, conduct this kind of mayhem. Because, let's face it, there's still some out there that still want to do this kind of thing. How is this massive dragnet and all of these activities that are taking place to round them up, from your perspective, going to in- impact them?
0: I think it will have an impact. And it goes back to what I said a moment ago. They're going to have to be aggressive in terms of arresting uh, these insurrectionists and people who violate uh, the law and people who did the sort of thing that uh, occurred on January 6th that we're talking about. Uh, people know right from wrong. And my personal feeling is that anyone who crossed the threshold into the door of the Capitol should be arrested. They knew what they were doing. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate they may have been might have been misled by some of these uh leaders in these groups, but nevertheless, it's hard to believe that they didn't know right from wrong. Um, and I think as we said a minute ago, a lot of them now have buyer's remorse. They're trying to get away from this and, you know, reunite with their community and their family, who I'm sure are taking a dim view of, of what they did.
1: Yeah. You know, it's really unfortunate because a lot of people that were victims up there who didn't sign up to be soldiers, who didn't sign up uh, to participate in a war, are going to be suffering with PTSD for a while because of what took place that day. And uh, it's really unfortunate that this happened, but it is a symptom of something that uh, a general told me years ago from the Defense Intelligence Agency. And he told me, he said, you know, um, the biggest threat to the, to, the, to the U.S. is the pace of change, the speed at which things change. And AT, as I look at what happened here with this QAnon conspiracy theory thing and starting off a couple of years ago as somebody with some ridiculous conspiracy idea that just mushroomed throughout a population and, and it just mobilized itself almost like a virus to the point where you had these people storming the seat of government in the U.S. the way they did. And there are still people to this day, the 16th of February 2021, that don't believe the election was fair. My question, I guess, in, in all of this is, um, where do you see us going as a nation where security is paramount and important, but also freedom?
0: All of that has to be taken into context with the things that we're talking about. And that goes back to, you know, restricting access on certain levels. Um, as you said, it's sad now that the country is so divided, hopefully over time more and more people will realize that, uh, you know, these sort of groups and so forth are, are, leading them on a path to nowhere and hopefully we'll, we'll just realize that and get smart. But it's, as you said, um, there are so many of these theorists out there, or these wild theories about things that it's just hard to imagine, you know, even when they talk about um, there not being a legitimate president since Ulysses S. Grant. And, <laughs> you know, going off the gold standard in 1933, um, changes that obviously occurred, you know, in history, but somehow they're attaching a false narrative to it, which absolutely makes no sense to me.
1: It absolutely doesn't. And, you know, they say. Truth is stranger than fiction. A.T. Smith, retired Secret Service, former deputy director. Thank you so much. Thank you, J.J. That's it for this episode. Next week, we're going to take a look at foreign policy. North Korea, Russia, China, Iran, the U.S.'s allies, NATO. How is that going? In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at WTOP.com. Also, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. And also, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security information and news, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast.
0: All right, sports fans, Podcast One has two great new shows for you to check out. Seven-time NBA champ Robert Ori is bringing big guests and great NBA commentary on the Big Shot Bob Pod. The
1: Brooklyn Nets remind me of Oklahoma Sooner football, and we
0: got to have to outscore you every time, and that's what the Brooklyn Nets are. Hey, you got Steve Nash to him you got Dan Tony they ain't thinking about no defense and Eric Bowling and Brett Favre come together for Bowling with Favre everything from sports to politics to business and culture any uh inside on what Aaron plans to do in, in Green Bay what I read into his comments were simply frustration, nothing more than that. Subscribe now to the Big Shot Bob Pod and Bowling with Favre on the Podcast One app, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review the shows on Apple for
1: your chance to be featured. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.